So, if you're just joining us in this series, this, uh, this part in the series, we are in a series called Revelation Volume 4, and what this is talking about is each year we have gone through a series, so it's a series of series, we call them volumes, and so each fall we've taken the book of Revelation and we've gone verse by verse carefully working our way through, methodically going, God, what do you want us to know on this? Uh, this is volume four of this, so we call this the return of Christ because he is returning. Amen? Jesus is coming back to this earth. And by the way, you can go back and listen to those all the way back to year one of these. So you can go and listen on the Bentry app or wherever you download podcast Apple. So I, I'm just saying, I just am an Apple person. Um, so here we stand uh, on one of the parts of Scripture so very rarely taught. Um, the thousand-year reign of Christ, or what we call the millennial reign of Christ. We have been careful uh, with this. I, I, I say it very it's very rarely taught. Now, you can go on the internet and you can find anything you want. And there's some serious crackpots out there that preach on this stuff. What they do is they take the newspaper or other books or pre-assumptions kind of thing and they use those as lenses and they try to read the Bible that way. Here's what we do that's different. We take the Bible and we say what is actually written in Scripture here. And then we use those as our lenses to look at the world around us. Do you see the difference between the two? It's important that you get that idea. We want to see what Scripture say, says. We don't overlay anything else. We look at the world through Scripture. Well, let me remind you that much of this, uh, the stuff that we talk about today is open-handed. Meaning it's theological issues. Some issues we talk about are closed-handed, not open to negotiation. Like Jesus Christ as Lord would be a closed-handed issue, theological issue, right? Amen? Amen. Now, this is an open-handed, meaning good people come down on both sides of this issue or different views, and that's okay. But what Bentry teaches is this stuff. It also means that you don't separate fellowship. Fellowship, Christian fellowship, brothers and sisters in Christ doing life together as the local church is one of the key ways in how we grow. And so I want you to see, this is what we teach as Bentry Church. Let's jump in, ride this horse. Shall we get going? Let's do that thing, but let's pray first. Would you bow your head with me? Mm. God, our Father, you are a good God. You didn't have to love us, but you did. You didn't have to prove your love for us in sending your son, but you did. You didn't have to show us all this, but you chose to. Father, as we open your words of the Bible and begin to study together, would you just reveal uh, who you are to our hearts? Would you change us by your words? God, we want to know um, more. We want to know you more. We want to grow. So God, from the brand new Christians in the, in the house, hearing my verse, a voice for the first time, uh, to the ones that have walked with Christ for years and years, God, would you grow us all? It is in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. Well, when Jesus himself returns to the earth with the saints, let, let me tell you, all the way from Adam, all the way through the end of the tribulation, all those saints, all the believers through time are on the earth at this point in Scripture. In their resurrected bodies. The body like Jesus had after his resurrection. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the next couple of weeks. But the millennial reign of Christ is just beginning. The thousand year reign of Christ is just beginning. There's been a massive battle on the earth. Well, massive in total numbers killed, but it was short. The battle itself was short. Christ himself won the battle with simply the power of his word. He has retaken the earth. He has taken it back from Satan. He goes, this is mine, rips it out of his hands, right? The Antichrist, the false prophet, had been captured alive, thrown into the lake of fire, or what we call hell for short, right? Eternal conscious punishment are what they face. And we've seen Satan, all his fallen angels that we call demons, seized by a massive angel. And I love this. It's like he grabs him by the scruff of the neck and he throws him into the abyss. The word abyss, the Greek word abyss, literally means bottomless pit. And he's locked him up in this bottomless pit for a thousand years. Verses 1 through 3 that we looked at for two weeks. Um, but we saw this, this happen, this locking up. But we also saw something that kind of disturbed us is near the end of the thousand years, Satan is allowed to leave this abyss. Now, why is that? We're going to look at that a little bit today, really next week in detail. But what we're going to try to do today is we're going to answer two big questions. First, what will life be like for us on earth? Would that be good to know? You know, for the resurrected believers. Um, second, what will be life, life be like for those unresurrected believers that are on earth? So we're going to look at that. And what, uh, what will they do? What will we do? How will we spend our time? Let's start where we left off last week in verse 4. Look at me. I'm already advancing here. We took two weeks on three verses, and now we're already doing a verse. Uh, I should get a gold star. Here we go. Verse 4. Then I saw thrones and people seated on them who were given authority to judge. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and who had not accepted the mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Let's take a look at through uh, this. Lots of going on. Here's what you need to understand about this stuff. For the first time since Genesis 2. Before Adam and Eve sinned and ate the fruit. For the first time there are no unredeemed people on the planet earth. That's just what it's saying. The only people alive at this point are followers of Jesus Christ and all the others are physically dead in Hades waiting for eternal judgment. We'll hit that next week. It's be, it'll be fascinating. We can divide all the people on earth, living on earth, into two distinct camps. Write this down. 
There will be two distinct groups living on earth during the millennial reign. Resurrected saints and unresurrected saints. Get these two groups in your mind. One has resurrected bodies. We'll talk about that in a little bit. The others have bodies just like you do. Uh, maybe not as bad as some of you. But they've got... Re- I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Well, not all the way. Okay. The resurrected saints are those from Adam to the end of the tribulation that died or were caught up in the rapture before the tribulation. They have returned with Christ in their new bodies with Jesus and like Jesus' resurrected body. But then there are also believers who have survived the tribulation. Uh, Those that have come to Christ, believers in the tribulation, those would include both Jews and Gentiles. This is important to understand. Possibly millions of them. Now, we are told about two witnesses. Uh, you remember a couple of years we uh, studied the two witnesses that told the gospel on that were killed. Then there were 144,000 Jewish witnesses that work as witnesses all across. They fan out all over the world. God supernaturally protects them during that seven years. This includes them. They were not killed during this time. Those that have been evangelists sharing the gospel with the world, this group still has their earthly bodies and they are just like you and I are now. Now, what are the differences between the two groups? One group is meant to rule. The other group is meant to populate the earth. Now, this is going to stretch you a little bit, but once you see this, you're going to go, oh, this makes sense. Look at verse 4 again. Look at verse 4. So I'm already going backwards. Here we go. Then I saw thrones. Underline that word thrones. And people seated on them. So there are people seated on thrones. You got that picture? Who were given authority to judge. Underline judge. What does that mean? Think about these thrones for a minute. Generally there are two kinds of thrones. There is the regal throne like a king would sit on, and then there is the throne that is more of like the administrative, judicial kind of throne. Resurrected saints will function as the second kind. As a, I know this is going to sound weird, as a supernatural government, if you will. They will rule this world for this thousand years. The Apostle Paul put it this way when he admonished the Corinthian Christians in 1 Corinthians 6. If you'll remember, those, those people had were inside the church. Christians were suing Christians, right? He goes, that's dumb. Don't do that. He says, you don't have to take your arguments to court. He says this in verse 2. He says, or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? Sound familiar? And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge trivial cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels? Now, this is, this is deep. We, we go deep to grow deep. Amen? Amen? How much more matters in this life? This is what you uh, will do with your time. You will judge. This will be your job. Now, what does that mean? Let me say it this way. First of all, what are you like? This is the resurrected believers. If you're a believer right now, this will be you there. Listen carefully. You will be perfect. 
unable to sin. You will have a perfect body. Someone say amen. (laughs) Unable to die. Unable to be injured in any way. You will be perfect in perfect fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Perfect fellowship. Instant access to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You will have perfect joy. Man, I sometimes when I preach, I have to be careful. I told Bibi this yesterday. It's almost like the third rail. If you grab it, you know, I, go, I just can't go on. And this, I'm very close to that rail. You know what I mean? It, like it's just too powerful. You will have perfect joy. Perfect peace. Perfect love for each other. And listen, will you have perfect faith? No. Why? Because you won't need it. Your faith will be sight. You will have perfect connection with God. I can't get over this thing. The short answer on this to say all these perfects is you will have been made complete. That doesn't mean that you will stop growing. And that just makes me gig out, right? It's not that you stop growing. You go, well, what else is there to do? No, you will finally be able to live life without the weight of sin and get to know God the way He intended. You want to know why the universe is so big? For you to explore it in His glory. I, I mean that. But what does it mean to rule? Well, we just don't know for sure. Now, theologians will say uh, it, it'll be like uh, being a mayor. Uh, you will uh, rule a city, but not everybody will rule a city. Maybe you're not that high. Maybe you rule 10 cities. You remember that when the, the reward thing, Christ talks about your reward for what you did here on earth? The resurrected saints will re, uh, govern this redeemed world and this is the role in the millennial kingdom that is a reward for what you are doing now. Like you go, why live life the way Jesus said? Well, A, because he said you will keep my commands if you love me, right? But the other reason is for reward. He says this is the reward that I'm giving you to be able to rule. Now rule has another connotation with it that we're not going to go towards. But I just want you to see is when he talks about this ruling, you will work as a priest to these people on earth. You will be on earth in a physical body, resurrected albeit. But you will work as a priest, connect to God. Now we don't know for sure totally what this all means. But here's what we do know. You'll be able to move from earth to heaven and back at will. You'll be able to do that. But then look at the second half of verse 4. More about the resurrected saints. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and who had not accepted the mark On their foreheads, you remember the 666? They had said no. Or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Christ is on earth physically. We are his subjects and we reign with him. The Greek word here for beheaded, you just need to know, it doesn't necessarily mean just chopped off. It's any public execution because you were a Christ follower. 
these people who had lived through some of the worst parts of the seven years, but in the end were put to death. They would not deny their king. Brothers and sisters, we should just stop for just a moment. Just consider how easy it is we have it here on earth. I'm thankful for our freedom, but quite frankly, we get weak. We think of the other Christians around the world. Let's just pray for them just for, just for a moment. God, we lift up believers. God, help us to be mindful of and pray for our brothers and sisters around the world that lose their lives daily right now for your name. They won't deny you, even though they're tortured, God, in the thousands. Our brothers and sisters in North Korea, those in China that are locked up, they're literally bulldozing the churches, God, in China. God, those in Africa, those in the Middle East, God, we lift them up to you. Give them strength to live their lives for you. And if, and if you will it, to even die for you. God, I pray that same urgency for us. Thank you. Thank you for our nation. Thank you for our freedom. God, help us to use our freedom to reach people for you and quit cowering. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the resurrected saints... The question I get a lot, and I understand this, is will they marry? Because, I, I, I mean, I love my wife, I, and it kind of disturbs me. It goes, she's my wife, I want to be with her. And the answer is no. Consider Jesus' answer to the question about marriage for, uh, for those that have been redeemed. They're in this resurrected body. Look at this. This is Luke chapter 20, verse 34. Jesus told them, the children of this age marry and are given in marriage. In other words, the age that we're in now. But those who are counted worthy to take part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For look at this. For they can no longer die. That's where I get that. Because they are like angels and are children of God since they are children of the resurrection. Look at this, right under the uh, line, this children of the resurrection, children of God. Make sure you catch that resurrected saints are children of the resurrection. We are children of God, yes, but we have been resurrected. That is so, uh, it's so looked over for us. We will be like Jesus. We will be complete. So the other group, what are they like? The ones that are still human, that have lived through the tribulation, they have survived this deal. All the believers, uh, like we said, what is their job? What is their role in this thousand-year kingdom? Just like now. Just like now. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself, Right? That's what we're to do. And to follow the commands of Scripture that Jesus clearly laid out. Are we under the law? No. But why do we follow the commands of Jesus? Because He asked us to. He asked us to live that way. Let me just mention that. Uh, at first, all those who have survived are believers in Christ Jesus. They are saved. They still have fallen bodies like you and I have now. In other words, we're redeemed, but I still want to sin, right? I still want the bad stuff. And, and truth be told, Jesus gives me lots of grace every day. Anybody else with me? Yeah. 
they will still have that kind of body. They will still sin and be forgiven of it, but they're believers. And although they are saved, listen to me, some of their offspring that will be born will not be. Some of their grandchildren, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And although they are saved, some of them will not be. Uh, We'll get to that stuff. By the way, that blows my mind. Anybody else with with you? with me, uh, how someone could reject Christ Jesus when Jesus is physically on the earth with them. And you're seeing all these resurrected guys. That this is, I don't know if you're catching this, but this perfect government uh, that will be on the earth. You know, let me digress for just a second here. There's enough food right now on the earth to feed everybody on the earth. But people starve to death regularly. Why? bad government corrupt government i mean our government is not good but it's the best on the planet right um what would happen if all the government were perfect i mean everybody had enough food we're going to look at this in a minute but to have jesus physically sitting on the throne in jerusalem ruling this world and then still reject jesus we're going to hit this next week it's going to blow your mind Here's what is different from now to them. Those people will live much longer than we do now. Where do I get that? Their lifespan will go back to what it was before Noah's flood. Why is that? Consider the prophet Isaiah. 750 years before Jesus is born, the prophet says this in Isaiah 65, 20. In her, this new age, a nur- in, uh, his, his people, a nursing infant will no longer live only a few days. No infant, no child, uh, people won't die like that. Now check this out. Or an old man live out his days, not live out his days. Indeed, means in actuality, indeed, actuality, He says, the one who dies at 100 years old will be mourned as a young man. People will go, oh, man, he was only 100? He had his whole life in front of him, right? That's what it's saying. And the one who misses 100 years will be considered cursed. The people of the earth will have babies and babies and babies and babies. And baby, they will have a lot of them. A lot of them, and their lifespans will increase dramatically. Some may even last the full thousand years. And you go, Paul, that's crazy talk. I'm just going back to pre-flood years, 600, 800, 900, almost 1,000 years. That's why I believe there would be possibly billions of people on this new age. Now, what you need to understand, this is heaven-like, but not heaven. One of the big questions I've had in this series is, why 1,000 years, Paul? Why why not 100 years and we just all go to heaven? Why not 10,000 years? Why, why this 1,000 years? This is going to mess you up because you've read this verse hundreds of times and you've thought, oh, you know what it means. And it does mean what you think it means probably. But like every verse, we go deep to grow deep. There's a deeper meaning. Everybody take a drink of their coffee, amen? It's still warm. Here it is, 2 Peter 3.8. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact, underline one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. 
Now, if you're like me, I've read this verse uh, for years and years, and I thought, oh, what that means is it's like an analogy, and it, it's saying, well, you know, Jesus is slow coming back for us. Like, uh, and, and you go, okay, that's what that means. And yes, it means that, but what it also means is it's not an analogy. It is one what? Fact. It is a fact, Peter says. Like time goes by for God very differently compared to us. Yes, and it does. But notice the phrase, don't overlook this one fact. This is not an analogy. It is one day for God is like a thousand years. In God's timing, Jesus' rule on the earth is only one day long. By the, in God's timing. By the way, we will be on God's timing then. Those that are resurrected. Now stay with me. The people that are unresurrected will still be in our timing. Do you understand? For us, that millennial reign will seem like a day. We'll experience all the things we would experience, but we will be on God's timing. Our lives are described like a puff of smoke right now. What we are doing is we will see how time really is. Sin has distorted time. Now I want you, I want to get what the physical earth looks like. But let's go to verse 5 for just a moment before we get there. There's something important you need to see. And this is just awful. Look at verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. You following me? This is the first resurrection. Some of you have just kind of let these words kind of go past you, your entire Christian walk. Don't let them go past you. Grab onto each one. Make sure you understand. If all the saints from Adam to the end of the tribulation are here, uh, are either on earth in a resurrected body or one of the survivors of the tribulation, who are the rest of the dead? Write this down. The rest of the dead, those who are not in Christ Jesus, but in Hades. Not hell, they're in Hades. And you go, I thought it was the same thing. It's not. It's not. It is a hell-like place in some respects but baby you ain't seen nothing yet it's not hell we see short descriptions of this place in the story jesus told about the rich man that dies and lazarus the poor man you remember that some people go well that's a parable actually it's not it's just a story and jesus never says it's a parable and it would be the only parable where actual names are used jesus is describing a real situation the rich man whose name has now become rich man because that was really his true identity. And Lazarus is in with Abraham. We call it Abraham's bosom. He's in a place of comfort. Now that man is in heaven. That's a different story. But this rich man is still in Hades. And if you'll remember, he, he calls out to Abraham, Father Abraham, would you just have Lazarus dip his finger in water just to put a drop on my tongue? I can't handle it anymore. And baby, he had only been there a few minutes. He'd only been there a few minutes. Interesting, isn't it? That he still saw Lazarus as his servant. And he never asked to get out of there. 
next week, I hope, uh, to get to that part. Um, this is huge. All the dead throughout time who are not in Christ are in Hades during this millennial reign. As we get to this part next week, we'll see them raised back to life. And you go, well, that's, that sounds like a good thing, right? No. No, 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 not at all. I promise you, they will face Christ Jesus in what we will call next week the great white throne judgment. And baby, it's ugly. It's ugly. So, here's the thing. If the dead in Christ are part of the second resurrection, what is the first resurrection? Grab onto this. This is verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over him. Now you're going, first resurrection, second death, what? We'll get to it. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Some of you might totally get this already. It might be total review for you. But define some terms with me. This is going to be important. Look, the first death, physical death. The first death, physical death. Everyone faces this except those believers that are alive when the rapture occurs. You'll caught up and be changed. But other than that, everyone faces that. You got that? If that was a surprise to you, I'm so sorry. Like you go, what? I don't. You're like in tears right now. You know, like you got a tear. You're going to die. You're going to die. And quite frankly, if you're not in Christ Jesus, that's the least of your fears. Okay? Now, check this out. The second death, spiritual death, and what I'm talking is hell. Nobody's in hell yet. It might help you to remember the word death literally means separation. That's what death means. Separation. So, Spiritual or physical death would be you're separated from your body. Spiritual death, you go, well, does that mean I'm separated from my spirit? Uh Uh-uh, because that's the real you. It means you're separated from God and every other living creature. So physical death, which means separation from your earthly body, that's not a bad thing for believers. Amen? You go, Paul, I don't like the word death. I don't like the thought about it. I, I promise you, if you're a believer, you will like it. The bodies we have now are temptation-filled. They want the wrong thing. I don't know about you. Mine's falling apart. Like there's a new thing every day, right? These bodies are falling apart, but spiritual death is a separation from God and anyone else. You know how people go, hey, I'll see you in hell. It'll be a party. No, brother, it won't. It won't be a party. And now you're about to go cold with what you're going to find out. But the first resurrection from the second resurrection, what's the difference? I want you to see something. The first resurrection includes Jesus, his resurrection, to the last believer in the millennial reign. Some of you, your mind just blew, right? In other words, the first resurrection lasts a minimum of 3,027 years. And you go, Paul, how on earth did you come up with that number? I'm glad you asked. Think about it. Jesus has been raised from the dead for 2019 years. How do we get that? Well, it's 2019, right? Give or take a few years. He was the first to be raised from the dead. We read last week that he is the firstborn among the dead. Then seven years of tribulation. We've spent the last two years studying that. 
Then you add on that the saints lived and died. Then another thousand years you add on to that. All that in Christ's kingdoms who were believers during that time. All of that is the first resurrection from Jesus through the last believer in the thousand year reign. First resurrection. In other words, those people living on earth during that thousand year reign that are Christ followers will be raised to life just like we will be raised to life. That's all a part of the first resurrection. So what about the second resurrection? We'll get to that soon total answer next week, but get this for right now. The second resurrection includes all the dead who are not in Christ Jesus all the way back to Adam's time, not including Adam. Adam is a believer. Now, some are asking, why call that a resurrection? Because it is. This is going to mess you up. Because you've thought about this, like you've pictured it in your mind, haven't you? Like the dead coming before the judgment throne of Christ, the books that are open. We'll study this next week. But you've kind of pictured it kind of dead like zombies, you know, like you go, how are they going to last a thousand years? Well, they won't need to like that. Because listen to me. They will be raised and given a new body like you. One that can handle punishment for eternity. Do you understand? It's going to to be this new body. That's a sobering thought. I mean, let me switch gears here. Let me switch gears here. Uh, We're going to come back to all that stuff next week in detail. Uh, And I want you to know just beyond that is the new heaven and new earth. Can't wait to talk about that. I want you to see something here. Let's see what Jerusalem, this Jerusalem now, uh, and Israel looks like in the years after the massive battle. Uh, This is just kind of an interesting thing, but it does have a purpose. All the way back to the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 38 and 39. We're going to look at 39. Describes the battle of both Armageddon, and then we'll talk about the last battle, uh, called the last battle. But this is... Uh, Ezekiel 39 verse 9, then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and make fires of the weapons and burn them shields and bucklers, bows and arrows, clubs and spears, and they will make fires of them for, check this out, how long? Seven years so that they will not need to take wood out of the field or cut down any out of the forest, for they will make their fires of weapons they will seize. The spoil of those who despoiled them and plunder those who plunder them, declares the Lord God. What in the world is this talking about? Jerusalem is not destroyed. It's surrounded by that massive army. You remember the battle of Armageddon? And apparently all the other big cities of the world have been destroyed. Apparently the cities around Jerusalem have not been, or not totally, but Jerusalem is okay. And for seven years, they go, we don't even have to go to the gas station anymore. There are so many abandoned war vehicles. We'll just get the gas out of that. It will take seven years to clean up the dead from the battle of Armageddon and get all their stuff cleaned up. That's what it's talking about. Little side note, little side note. For those of you that are amillennialists and then you go, this thousand year reign doesn't really exist. Uh, it's just kind of an analogy. And you, you have to go, well, it's two battles mentioned, the battle of Armageddon that starts the thousand year reign and ends the tribulation and the last battle. Amillennialists will say those are just one battle. It's just different names for one battle. The problem is that would be wrong because of this. 
Because after the last battle, the earth and heaven pass away. You wouldn't have time to clean up for seven years. Do you understand? Does that make sense? So look at this. What about the rest of the world? Well, we could spend a ton of time here. For our last few minutes, let, us, let me give you some basics, what the world will look like, what it will be like. Let your mind kind of see this stuff. What we know and we see now is destroyed. Everything that we see now that we live, like this building, this place would be destroyed before the end of the seven years. The literal topography means how the land is laid out is going to be different. The earth is going to be different, and this is going to mess you up, but let me mess you up. Cities are wiped out. Earthquakes, floods, droughts, incredible storms, uh, mountains have been shoved down. Think about it if we shoved Long's Peak down violently over a matter of about, oh, 15 seconds. What would it do to the land that we're sitting on right now? Possibly other mountains will come up. Uh, other mountains will go down. The seas and the tectonic plates have massively shifted. These seas, the seas that are there are much smaller, possibly gone. Vast areas currently underwater will be lifted up. Don't let that surprise you. Like we know much of the Mediterranean was above the ground. We see cities right now that are underwater. We see them underwater. City, I mean, the plains will be lifted up above the water. Think about this. The earth right now is 71% covered in oceans, right? That means about 29% are uh, areas of land. But even only a small part of that can we live on because we've got these vast uh, deserts, right? And, and although people live in the mountains, they can't live in the high mountains. That's, uh, you can't live in that part. That would mean, look, if it's switched and the seas weren't as big, let's say there were only 10% of the earth were covered. That would leave 90% of the earth. Now, some of you are like, going, you're geeking out on me. Now, stay close with me. Here's the really cool part as we return with Christ. Jesus begins to heal this earth. I know this is mind-boggling. The earth and life on it will return to nearly perfect balance as it once was before the great flood. Somewhere between creation and the fall and the flood and there it will return to that area. The oceans that had turned to blood, do you remember the seven years? Everything had died. We think those are massive red tides, algae blooms. The oceans are healed. Pollution is cleaned out of the air, out of the land. <laughs> I heard a theologian say this the other day. For those of you who are worried about the environment uh, and what you do to it, uh, yes, we need to be good to our environment. But listen, Jesus is going to trash it in the seven years. He's just, he's just going to, but he heals it here. The water, uh, that, where will all that water go that's in the oceans? Some down into the ground. This is what it was before, before the great flood, down into the ground, but the mass, mass, vast majority of it up into the atmosphere. Not like a dark, cloudy day, but spread out so you can still see the sun. Most of the water, Christ-believing scientists have speculated. So this is just speculation. This isn't scripture here. That that layer would be around the earth 
It would provide this atmosphere. Get this. It will rain, but a soft, gentle rain, more like a mist. No storms ever. No floods, no droughts, even even rain, even watering across the earth. The water that is shoved down into the earth suddenly creates springs all over the earth, and they're no longer salt water. It is freshwater springs that equally uh, water all of the earth. Now, here's the deal. With that atmosphere outside, that will block the UV rays from the sun. Deserts would be gone. The ice caps of the earth would be gone. The entire earth would become inhabitable to plant life. And 90% or more of the earth to animals and plants. Some of you are going, Paul, you've gone crazy. I'm telling you, this is what I find in Scripture. Animals, um, what, what about animals? The animal kingdom would also go back to pre-flood activity. And possibly even the level of the garden. All the animals will become safe to people and safe to each other. Look at Isaiah chapter 11. This is just one of tons of scripture that say this. You'll recognize this. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. That doesn't happen now. The wolf always eats the lamb. He will dwell with the lamb. In other words, live with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf the young, and the young lion and the fattened calf will be together and a child will lead them all. I don't know about you, but I've always wanted a hippo. I just, I have. They're friendly and yet if you go to Africa, they say that's the deadliest animal. It kills more like 10 times more than lions do, right? But I, I'm going to get a hippo. I'm just getting a hippo. I want a lion. I don't like cat house cats. I think they're evil. But I like, forgive me, you know, there's grace in the Lord, but I like the idea of a lion. Anybody else with me? Or anybody want a lion? They're going to be safe. And Paul, you go, Paul, this is just analogy. No, folks, it's not. Is this cool or what? What I'm saying is the earth will be awesome and yet not entirely perfect. Now, I've just summed up a ton of speculation over a thousand-year reign of Christ. Let's take a look, a few minutes, our last few minutes, just to look at Scripture, what that will support these ideas. God gave His followers this message through the Old Testament, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 34, God says to this about the thousand-year, this millennial reign of Christ. Verse 25, I will make them a covenant of peace. This is God talking. And banished wild beasts from the land. In other words, they'll all be tame. So that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. You'll be able to sleep in the woods. You go, I can sleep in the woods right now. Yeah, but there's bugs, mosquitoes. Mosquitoes will not bite. Do you understand? Now, I'm from Texas. There's this horrid, there's horrid curse uh, in Texas called the fire ant. Uh, and those won't bite anymore. There will be true peace in the world. No war. And the animals are not dangerous. You can sleep outside without fear. Look at verse 26. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. My hill is referring to Jerusalem. He says, I will make that the center of blessing going out. 
And I will send down the showers in their season. Soft, gentle rains, they shall be showers of blessing. The picture is rain, but it's also showers of blessing. Both of rain and water for the world and showers of blessing. What kind of blessings? All kinds, but specifically food. Why start there? Ezekiel 34, 27, at least the first half. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And the earth shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure in the land. Now, some people believe all the trees will become fruit-bearing trees. We don't know that. There's an abundance of food, and when that happens, trade, jobs, purpose, work become fun. The world starts to really flourish like it was supposed to. And when people are happy and secure, they have babies. They do. And lots of them. And remember, they also live long, long lives. The numbers of people grow and the government and the resurrected saints, check this out, rule perfectly. There's no corruption in any government at all. Look at this in verse 27b. And they shall know that I am the Lord, all the people, when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the land of those who enslaved them. In other words, the battle of Armageddon. He says, I will break Satan's hold on this earth. Corruption and bad people will be broken and indeed gone from the planet. Look at verse 28. They shall be no more a prey to the nations, nor shall the beast of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely and none shall make them afraid. Fear will be gone. Life is good, but remember, this is still not heaven. You're going, Paul, how can this not be heaven? This sounds like heaven. It would be heaven-like, but bro, it won't be heaven. You and I will be able to go from here to heaven, back and forth, but I want you to see this. This is important. And I will prepare for them renowned plantations so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of nations, not just food, the very best food the very best peace and shelter and security verse 30 and they shall know that i am the lord their god with them do you understand with them jesus on earth and that they the house of israel are my people declares the Lord God. Jesus will literally be ruling from the earth, from Jerusalem. This is heaven-like, but not heaven. But as this thousand-year reign comes to a close, something horrible is about to happen. But just like everything that the enemy tries to do, God takes that and uses, his, uses it for His glory and our good. So we don't have to fear that. We'll take a look at that next week. We'll see Satan and his angels are released on this near-perfect world. And we'll see eternal judgment come in a new heaven and a new earth. I cannot wait to share this exciting time with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, our prayer is that you would take these words and drive them deep, deep in our hearts that you would change us. God, that you would change the way we think about this earth right now. God, I pray that you give us urgency in how we live our lives.
Folks, I've been praying for you all week. I lift you up, both as individuals and specific prayer requests people share, put on the cards or tell me personally. But then I lift you up as a church. We have become soft as Christians in America. Not, I'm not just saying the, the, the freedom, the laws that we have. We need to protect those. But we've used those laws to become soft about the gospel. We have let our lives become this kind of, well, I guess I'm saved. I'll go to heaven, the hell with the rest. And you go, Paul, I've never said that. And listen to me. If you're not living to, for Jesus and you are a Christian and you're not following what he says, that's exactly what you're telling. You're saying to hell with the rest of you. Folks, as I pray for you, I pray that God would make you into an individual that would be unafraid to share the gospel with those around them before you die and before they die. I would pray that you would become bold in your faith and that you would realize that this life is nothing compared to that life and eternity. Folks, if you have lived a Christian life, like you're an American, you go, I'm not Muslim, I must be a Christian. That's not what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means. You talk to God and you surrender your life. And you say, my life is of no value to me. I ask for your forgiveness of my sin. You repent of your sin. In other words, you turn from it. And you say this, I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. If you say that with your mouth and believe in your heart, you are saved. It's simply that. But listen, listen to me. It's not just levers that you're pulling. Like you go, if I pull this lever, then God has to let me into heaven. No, it is selling out completely to Jesus and saying, Jesus, my life is not worth anything without you in my life, without you controlling it. So if you've called yourself a Christian or maybe you've never been a Christian, this is how you become a Christian. Talk to God right now. Say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for not believing that you loved us enough to send your only son to die in my place. God, forgive me for not believing, but now I believe. I believe that Jesus is your son. Pray that. Pray this. I believe that you raised him from the dead on the third day, and I believe that he's coming back to take all of us home for eternity to be with you, God. And if that's the case, God, if that's the case, I want to be with you. Listen to me, you are saved if you believe that. The core of who you are, 
Not your physical beating heart, but the heart of who you are, the inside of you, your spirit, your, the core of your emotions, your mind, your thoughts. If you believe that, hang on to it, and then express that with your mouth. You are saved. So turn from your sin. Be baptized. And start to walk and follow Jesus. Not your life anymore, but his life lived through you. End your prayer like this. Thank you for saving me, God. Thank you for giving me your son. I give my life to you now. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. we'll see eternal judgment come in a new heaven and a new earth. I cannot wait to share this exciting time with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, our prayer is that you would take these words and drive them deep, deep in our hearts. That you would change us. God, that you would change the way we think about this earth right now. God, I pray that you give us urgency in how we live our lives. Folks, I've been praying for you all week. I lift you up, both as individuals and specific prayer requests people share, put on the cards or tell me personally. But then I lift you up as a church. We have become soft as Christians in America. Not, I'm not just saying the, the, the freedom, the laws that we have. We need to protect those. But we've used those laws to become soft about the gospel. We have let our lives become this kind of, well, I guess I'm saved. I'll go to heaven, the hell with the rest. And you go, Paul, I've never said that. And listen to me. If you're not living to, for Jesus and you are a Christian and you're not following what he says, that's exactly what you're telling. You're saying to hell with the rest of you. Folks, as I pray for you, I pray that God would make you into an individual that would be unafraid to share the gospel with those around them before you die and before they die. I would pray that you would become bold in your faith and that you would realize that this life is nothing compared to that life and eternity. Folks, if you have lived a Christian life, like you're an American, you go, I'm not Muslim, I must be a Christian. That's not what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means. You talk to God and you surrender your life. And you say, my life is of no value to me. I ask for your forgiveness of my sin. You repent of your sin. In other words, you turn from it. And you say this, I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. 
I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. If you say that with your mouth and believe in your heart, you are saved. It's simply that. But listen, listen to me. It's not just levers that you're pulling. Like you go, if I pull this lever, then God has to let me into heaven. No, it is selling out completely to Jesus and saying, Jesus, my life is not worth anything without you in my life, without you controlling it. So if you've called yourself a Christian or maybe you've never been a Christian, this is how you become a Christian. Talk to God right now. Say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for not believing that you loved us enough to send your only son to die in my place. God, forgive me for not believing, but now I believe. I believe that Jesus is your son. Pray that. Pray this, I believe that you raised him from the dead on the third day and I believe that he's coming back to take all of us home for eternity to be with you, God. And if that's the case, God, if that's the case, I want to be with you. Listen to me, you are saved if you believe that. The core of who you are. Not your physical beating heart, but the heart of who you are, the inside of you, your spirit, your, the core of your emotions, your mind, your thoughts. If you believe that, hang on to it and then express that with your mouth. You are saved. So turn from your sin. Be baptized and start to walk and follow Jesus. Not your life anymore, but his life lived through you. End your prayer like this. Thank you for saving me, God. Thank you for giving me your son. I give my life to you now. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.